So first of all, uh, we I think our first uh, connection was whenever we were up doing the work. I think I was at the doing the World uh, Umame Summit in New York, and uh, you were there as well. And you saw somebody from Leesburg, and I was like, oh, cool. And I knew you from like Instagram. And then, of course, Chris had come to our barbecue class. So we though we haven't really uh, met in person, I feel like, you know, I, I know you and we we're really excited to be able to get you on to the uh, sh- onto the show. No, I'm so happy to be here. And yeah, I remember being in New York surrounded by, you know, the the team from Japan and everyone coming from all over the country. And I was like, oh, no kidding. And then I was like, oh, well, I've been to your restaurant a million times because that's my go to hamburger spot. Yeah, <laughs> which we frequent <laughs> often. And like you said, I am um, selfishly slash brilliantly gifted my husband a uh, master barbecue class, right. with you, which has paid off like tenfold. So yeah, it's great to finally connect, you know, in a visual way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, okay. So we wanted to, I mean, lots of different things that we can talk about, but wanted to uh, touch base on the uh, cookbook. Congratulations on that. Uh, and I know whenever I saw it, whenever you announced it, that that was available, um, I was like, oh, I was like, oh, really? That's, I mean, I, I like didn't even expect that you were even working on something like that. And um, it, it just, I thought it was really cool. And I think if you could just maybe let our uh, listeners know, uh, tell us a little bit about the cookbook and a little bit about your background and how you got into um, the CBD uh, as a direction. And I think we can start there. Sure. So my background is I'm a dietitian nutritionist um, and day to day, what my husband and I do slash business partner is we do uh, visual content creation and recipe development for platforms and brands. So we've done a lot of work for like Innova, the CV company. We've done stuff for food network, commodity boards. Um, and then with the wellness aspect of being a dietitian, we just like to dabble in what we find interesting. Uh, and so for CBD, it was like 2017. Um, I was stressed out who wasn't. And, uh, (laughs) I had already, you know, played with adaptogens, which I'm, I don't want to make any assumptions, but adaptogens, adaptogens are basically plants that can bring your body back to homeostasis. So they're great for stressful situations. I was playing with them, interested in them. I was doing what I felt I could as a wellness person to uh, decrease my stress levels, doing the things I knew I should, but I needed more help. And that's when about the time CBD started kind of making its way into, I guess, the more distant parts of pop culture stuff. So there was a podcast, Bon Appetit briefly mentioned it. I think um, a lot of wellness companies I was working with, they had kind of briefly mentioned it. But if you recall, this is before the 2018 Farm Bill came out, which is when it made hemp versus cannabis specifically legal. It made it an agricultural product again. So it was not technically legal, but I was very curious. And so I started doing a lot of research, big rule follower, big research person. So um, I started to be too curious to help it. And so I tried it and it was really fascinating. The science was good, which to me is the most important part. If you're starting to kind of dabble in what some people would consider the woo woo. Um, CBD in particular seemed like the kind of thing where it was a really big snake oil thing. Like it does everything. And I was just like, there's no way. So the skepticism inside of me was just too curious to not look into it. Um, so I did, and I started writing about it in 2018 and, um, for self-interest and because I knew more and more people were going to be curious about it. And now to look back, it seems so silly because you can buy CBD everywhere. You can buy CBD at 7-Eleven, you can buy it at Wegmans, you can buy it, you know, just everywhere. Um, but at that time people were very nervous about it. They were very curious. 
And um, that's when actually Simon and Schuster approached me in 2019 to do the book. So it wasn't my doing, it was purely wow. um, data and analytics. Cause I had always wanted to do a book. I'd always wanted to do a cookbook, but um, I think the publishing industry has moved more towards what is based on data and who can argue with that. You know, if you know a book's gonna do well on a topic or sell, you can't argue. So they knew CBD was coming around the corner. So they approached us and we produced the book for them. And that's, that's how that book came to be. So was there any kind of like um, hesitation or reluctancy uh, as far as like kind of taking that step to say, Hey, I'm going to do this because as you know, I mean, I I know uh, uh, Chris can tell you, we we've done a uh, uh, class a couple years ago in Los Angeles. That was kind of an exploratory class on, um, asking the question if cannabis has any real culinary value. And man, I remember I got like a lot of people like raising an eyebrow and, you know, my mom, even my mom was like, Hey, like, like, you know, you better watch the topics you're doing and, you know, give me a hard time. And, you know, because there really still for a long time, there's been this big stigma around it, but did you, were you concerned or did you feel like, Hey, this is the direction that this is going because, you know, you're a brand and you have uh, the, the, your company, so the decisions that you make, I mean, making a, a miscalculation or uh, anticipating the direction a trend is going and being wrong about it can have consequences. I mean, did you feel like really confident, like this is the way we're going to go? Or was there any kind of hesitation at all before you really kind of took that first step? You make such a good point. I mean, everything that Chris, my my husband um, and I do, somebody said to us, they were like, I never see you guys do anything without intention. And that is pretty true. We, um, research extremely thoroughly and I would never do anything to, you know, I guess put us at risk or put us in a position that I couldn't explain. And so that's why I said the science was so important to me. Um, and I, if I'm ever confused on a topic, which is MSG in particular, you know, that's something where you and I connected, that was something I was extremely passionate about. And that, um, trip to Japan with Ajinomoto. And when I learned that stuff and became like a real, I started working for the brand, you know? Wow. Um, I, I am always pretty sure if I'm bold enough, I suppose, to put it publicly, because as you know, it's like everybody can find everything online. And if somebody wanted to come and question what you're saying, you need to be able to feel comfortable to support your topic. So while I am extremely a rule follower, um, the science was there and I knew with the farm bill, I was comfortable putting it out there. Um, what's interesting though, is I think more and more people have jumped on boards specifically pandemic wise, I had friends that were, even though they knew I would never do anything, um, I suppose like risky, they themselves could not even be curious enough to dabble in CBD. And so I got a lot of messages, you know, early 2020 where people were like, I need stress relief. Can you tell me more about CBD again? And I was like, oh, so it just took a global pandemic. How funny But uh, people (laughs) found it helpful. And if that's what it took to kind of get them there. I feel, I feel sad that, uh, that plant carries that stigma, but I also understand. And now we're back in this phase where, uh, now that Delta eight has kind of come to market, we're back in that, um, kind of sketchy zone for hemp where, um, FDA hasn't really taken a stand. They've been supposed to take a stand on, uh, hemp as a food and beverage additive for years now. And they just haven't. And so now with Delta eight, which, um, is a compound that functions like Delta nine, which is the THC portion of cannabis that makes it separate from hemp. Um, we're getting back into that questionable area. 
which is very interesting. At the end of the day, um, if it has really good safety standards, if it has, uh, and you're choosing a good brand and it's a, a plant you can trust, I, I just get so fascinated and with all plants, um, I just get so fascinated to see where this is going, but with CBD and with, um, MSG and other things we like to research, I feel extremely strongly that it's not risky at all. You just have to have the data. Well, I think you bring up a really good point too, because it, you know, having the, the data and the science behind it, but, but unless you are somebody that's, is just curious and you, and you, if you don't ask those questions, then you don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. the only way that, you know, is you have to explore and you have to peel back the orange per se, and, and basically kind of understand the subject matter before you can really form an opinion about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, even like when sous vide came, I remember uh, years ago, I was like one of the earlier people cooking sous vide and at the Greenbrier and all these other traditional chefs are looking at me like, what is he doing in his restaurant? He's putting all this food in plastic bags. I mean, they thought I was just, I lost it, you know, and they could, I mean, that was supposed to be a fine dining restaurant and I'm putting all this food in vacuum bags, but you know, the early on in the process, just like with cannabis, uh, all of these things until people have knowledge, you, you really uh, don't know people were making judgment about things based on really very narrow uh, understanding of the subject matter. So I think the book is uh, a huge uh, uh, resource for people that maybe want to learn about it. Um, speaking of the book, what is uh, what would you say is like maybe one of your most favorite or uh, memorable recipes or, or parts of it? Two really stand out to me. Well, from a culinary perspective, one of the things we struggled with the most was we really didn't want this to be a book where it was just like, oh, you just drop it in. That's like not, that's not cooking. Like anybody can do that to any recipe. So why would you spend your money on a book? Mm -hmm. Um, So what we tried to do is figure out ways to um, like more or less emulsify it or get it to stay within the beverages because it is just a beverage book, which is uh, where our happy places. We love to do beverages. (laughs) Um, and so, so, um, one of the ways we did it was just a simple CBD, simple sugar recipe, like a simple syrup recipe, because that was a really good way to get it to stabilize you would have a batch made and you could essentially Mm. add it to anything. Um, so one of the, one of our favorite recipes is a rosemary lemonade, um, coffee and we make it every summer. That's like constantly what we make people when they come over. Um, and it's just, you know, espresso, tonic water, lemonade and rosemary. And it's so easy, but it's a nice kind of spritzier, lighter thing. If you don't want to do dairy in a nice beverage. Um, another one I really think is interesting, but I don't think many people would go for it. And so selfishly, it was just like a cool concept is we did buttered radish shots. So we juiced radishes, which made this gorgeous pink color and we topped it with, um, ghee and a little salt. So the CBD existed in the ghee it was a fat and a fat. So it made it really easy. Wow. Um, and that was just kind of a fun, different thing to do with it. It's really interesting. Um, um, I wanted to ask, uh, before we keep moving forward in the topics, um, still like about the book, but how was the process? Because I know that I, and I was following you after Rich came back from the, uh, from the conference that he was talking about. Um, and I've been looking at your content and everything, and I love how you put everything in kind of like one pattern It's super clean and super easy to read. Then you put the link to your website and everything. Um, how was the process working with the picture since, I mean, I think that your team, you and Chris there, I mean, you both are great. We have Chris in the classes and, uh, he was taking beautiful pictures, 
And I remember you were posting about that he was developing the box and everything. And it was like, oh. everything was so cool because you, you were like really highlighting Chris about like the pictures of the book, the pictures of the, how he developed the boxes. and everything. How was that process? Well, so with Chris, it's so, I'm so lucky to have him. Oh my God. Um, Chris's background is graphic design and he is precise and extremely detail oriented. And I am so lucky that he can basically, he can basically do everything. And so with the book, it was very unusual, but, um, our publisher sent us the cover that they had mocked up and I immediately panicked because I hated it. And so I took it to Chris <laughs> and I was like, fix this, fix this. And so we sent them a hypothetical new copy of what the cover could look like. Like it had similar concepts to make the publisher feel comfortable. And we took it to our editor and we were like, so like, is this a possibility? Could we maybe, and they took us up on it. And That's I was great. so relieved. Wow. I was so relieved because with a book, you know, a lot of people walk into a bookstore and if they don't know the name, they'll say, oh, it's the one with this on the cover. It's the one right. with this. And with anything visual or digital, like you guys do so much online, if the pictures aren't good, it's a, it's a hard -er sell, even if right. the yes. product is good or the menu item is good. If the pictures aren't as good as they could be, you're almost working against yourself. So mm -hmm. with Chris, it was great because it was also unheard of. Well, what we shot the cover, Chris designed the cover. Um, and for the photos, Chris was the photographer. So we had total control of everything. We didn't oh, wow. farm it out. It was all done in our home studio from recipe development to photography. And then like you were alluding to some of the press boxes we sent to um, publications, Chris designed the PR package. So it was like hemp printed. It had custom tissue paper. There were stickers. And um, that's one of the things we really like to do is the whole start to finish thing. Uh, and with the second business we started, it's the same thing. You know, it's, we just like all the touch points. We care a lot about the user experience um, for every angle of it. And it makes it real easy if you have a graphic designer on hand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you have well, to cover those... both sides. Yeah. And, and all those things, uh, you know, like those little details you mentioned, a lot of people don't really think about that. They just think about the finished product, but that, right. that's kind of a way to kind of keep telling the story. You know, it's like, it, it's uh, the theme, you know, there's continuity with all the collateral material surrounding, not just the book, but you know, the, the online uh, me messaging and, you know, giving someone a, a package and the little thoughtful stuff with the, the, the hemp. And I mean, I just, that's really cool. And I mean, I think people notice that stuff, but those are the little things that a lot of people just, they don't think about it whenever they're introducing a new, a new concept. Yeah. I, I feel I, like what, one of the best things though, is like, you don't, it's almost a compliment for people to not realize all of it, but then when they don't experience it the next time with something, they realize like how right. forward thinking it was. But I feel that way with you guys too, because if you look across any of your brands, it would be so obvious that you guys are producing like the the um, pizza kitchen, like the, all of that stuff, it ties back into your original people should know it's you without looking to see a right. video, you know? Yeah. yeah I, I think it's great. You mentioned, uh, they mentioned the, uh, Chris's background because there's many people that they don't realize that graphic design and they can change literally everything. And yeah. <laughs> at the same time, I mean, I'm always talking to people and they always like, and probably if Chris is listening or whenever he listens to podcast, he's going to probably agree. Everyone is always pointing to canvas. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that Canvas is not good because it's, it's a great resource for people that probably they're starting. But uh, having a graphic design in the back is so much better because like you said, he's going to be in control of everything, like literally 100% from scratch 
Like whenever we talk in the kitchen, you have to do these sauces from scratch. It's going to taste so much better than when you have it like a template or something like that. Um, so I, I just wanted to point that uh, that is really cool that you mentioned that his background is a, is a graphic design. And I wanted to ask um, before we move again to out of the book, um, do you think or do you have in the works another book or something else? So we've been approached a few times to do books. And um, I think anybody who has done a book will tell you it's not like a romantic process. And I never assumed <laughs> it would be. It was it was a career goal of mine to do a book. And I had been actively, you know, working with a literary agent, dabbling in like, you know, if we pitch this, what if we pitch this? And at the end of the day, I just don't think unless you are already a celebrity, then you can do like whatever the heck you want. Um, but for normal people, even if you <laughs> feel like you have something to say, unless you have a massive audience, what they want is the data-driven content produced. And so um, a lot of the inquiries, we've probably had like 10 inquiries, you know, since we did that book and they're all based on analytics. And so it's topics I don't want to write about, and I'm not going to dedicate, you know, these short timetable turnarounds and doing crazy things just for the sake of doing a book. Cause it's not going to be it. Number two, they didn't, they wouldn't have given us the creative control that we had on the first book. And that for me was the number one thing. We are so uh, visually aesthetically driven to give that angle away was an absolute no. Like I just wouldn't want to be tied to something that didn't look the way right. we wanted it to. And then number mm -hmm. two, to do it on a topic, I don't really care about just for the sake of having another book, like what's the point, you know? Right. So mm -hmm. a lot of the requests were um, Instapot books or heart health books or like whatever. And while it's great that I could write those, why, you know, and I think it would be easy for your ego to take over and be like, well, you could have six books and yeah, I could, but like to what end? Right. Right. So, mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I agree with that probably. Um, um, moving forward a little bit, uh, being a registered dietitian has helped you create any of the recipes or any of the content. I mean, just to let everybody know your website is great and they can find so much content besides just the book. Uh, so is it, does it help you? Is it, does it make it easier or how does it play out in the, in your entire, like, I mean, I can't even number how many things you just said that you do both of you. So mm -hmm. it's like, how does it play throughout like all your different, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> we do, we do many things. Um, and I can't wait to tell you about some of the stuff later that we're working on right now. Uh, to be completely honest, no, I don't think I had to be a dietitian to do what I do. It was certainly helpful in that I have the authority, I guess, to be able to write specific dietary related right. recipes and content and come on camera as an expert. And that's really, really great. Um, but to do more of just, just the creative stuff. No, I don't think that's necessary. I think the technical training aspect of recipe writing was really helpful, but it can be learned. You know, I think anybody, if they're really passionate enough about it, they could educate themselves enough to be good at recipe developing. But when it comes to quantity or technical stuff, like uh, when we were developing recipes for Innova's um, steam oven that they came out with, that product was a beta product. And so it was a lot of knowing how to um, con conceptualize a recipe with new tech, um, work through it, make adjustments, make sure, you know, all of the ingredients were in the proper order, correct measurements for the type of thing, for the type of audience. I think that was all extremely helpful. Um, and I think also 
more importantly, the ability to do the research angle for the MSG, like we talked about, and for uh, the CBD or PFOAs and nonstick pans, anything that kind of makes me curious. I know other people people have questions about too. And so the ability to analyze existing content for validity and hopefully translate it to, you know, like the way a normal person would talk, like (laughs) to see, Mm -hmm. to be helpful. Um, I think that is really helpful, but it has been, um, I didn't know this was going to be my job. You know, like when I got my credential, I had no idea we were going to move this direction. Right. And I feel like every time I think about, you know, what do we want to do in five years? Sometimes I don't know we would be doing what we're doing. So <laughs> I think that's maybe the best part is the agility that doing what we do brings us that we right. can move to, to new projects all the time. I think, it, I mean, everything sounds great because it, it sounds that you're having fun, even that you just said <laughs> that you don't know what you're going to be doing maybe in a couple of months. Well, besides that, your schedule, your agenda is probably booked like crazy, but you don't know what's going to happen next year. Like the book, you launched the book and right after the book was the pandemic kind. And, and probably, and I, and I, yeah. And, and, and I think that it probably was a best that it was right before the pandemic and not throughout the pandemic, uh, that you could launch the book and everything. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's, it's so good to see that passion and that, that kind of like happiness when you talk about everything that you're doing. Um, and we know we're really lucky to work together and sometimes it's not fun. Like (laughs) we don't don't assume that it's just like. Great. Amazing. I mean, with all of this stuff comes working with like clients and sometimes they're a pain in the ass and sometimes the requests (laughs) you get are insane and not realistic. And, but I've learned so much and the ability to say no to a project is really nice and empowering. And, um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, we're really happy to be able to do something creative that we can adjust it. Having a little bit of control is nice. Um, but ultimately it's, uh, not doing the same damn thing every single day. That makes me happy. Hey everybody. I want to take a second to say thank you to our sponsors. This show is brought to you by the following partners, meat in bone. Uh, these guys are just doing an exciting thing in the Miami and Florida area. Uh, check out their website. Uh, They offer premium quality meats hand delivered to your door if you live in the Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach area. But also, they ship nationally, and you can also visit them at some of their boutique locations in the Florida area. Uh, These guys came up to our recent barbecue class, and they brought all sorts of amazing cuts of meat, steaks, brisket. Uh, Listen, if you're looking for quality steaks like you would get in a restaurant, Check these guys out. They've got some incredible selection and top-notch quality. Uh, check out their website. Uh, also, Ovention Oven. These ovens are are just incredible. We've used these during the pandemic. They really helped us kind of pivot and reposition ourselves uh, so that we were able to expand our menu without having to make expensive investments in the kitchen. Uh, these, these ovens offer an innovative solution to restaurant operations, opening up a whole new realm of possibilities with your menus. The Ovention ovens are ventless 
They're fast and operationally friendly in cooking. Uh, the What we do is we program our recipes in the oven and our cooks just press a button of the image of what they're going to cook. It's a whole new way of cooking. Uh, check out their entire line of Ovention ovens. And of course, Steelite. Steelite International has remained an incredible partner of Rosendell Collective. Uh, they are an internationally world-leading manufacturer of award-winning inspirational dinnerware for the international hospitality industry. They've been a longtime partner of Rosendell Collective, and they're getting ready to uh, sponsor us with some incredible tableware uh, for our new section on Rosendell Online, and we can't wait to see what they're going to come up with. Also, check out Dryager. Dryager offers a level of unprecedented quality for both restaurant and home dry aging programs. They make the most amazing dry aging meat cabinets in the industry. They are designed with sophisticated technology. They're made in Germany, and you can get incomparable taste of restaurant quality steak in the comfort of your own home. Thanks again to our following sponsors, Meat and Bone, Ovention Oven, Steel Light International, and Dryager. Now back to the show. Would you say uh, there's any ingredients that you tend to your your style? Anything that you like to work with? Uh, Besides CBD, what's that? <laughs> Besides CBD, you know. Yeah. So actually, it's not even the CBD. Like that's not like a huge, huge part of my life. But I really do like the taste of the hemp greens. Like in terms of salad, it's like extremely oh, really? arugula e. There was yeah. a producer in um, Sperryville, Virginia, that they were just selling hemp greens by the bundle. Really? They're so cool. They're so cool. So they make a great garnish and um, like a really funky addition. But other than that, other than that, um, anything that's just beautiful and seasonal and that I'm inspired to do, I think the worst can be, um, God, I hate a five ingredient thing or like yeah. a crock pot recipe. Anything where mm -hmm. it's just the simplicity for the sake of being simple and, um, kind of talking down to a consumer or a home cook. Right. I really hate that. I really hate when a company comes to us and they're like, it needs to be five ingredients in 30 minutes or less. And if you could put it in an air fryer, that would be great. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm so not your person. Like I yeah. can, but I don't <laughs> <Right>. want to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to talk about uh, if you can, mention a little bit more uh talk a little bit more about the uh cleaver beast i don't know if i said it right where do you get your inspiration for the different aromas mm, so and if you can talk a little bit about what's the cleaver for mm. all the people that they're listening so clever beast um so last year last spring chris and i decided to start another arm of the business which is exactly what you do when you have a four-month child and um during the pandemic <laughs> well that's it's right that's good time. to mention they have a, they have a child too <laughs> the perfect time to start a new venture. So um, Clever Beast is an aroma and flavor company that's based on regional botanicals and waste streams. Um, so for a while, we had kind of been dabbling with this concept of really wanting to utilize waste streams from local agricultural things, wineries, breweries, farm cast off things. And um, we always joke that Chris's spirit animal is a raccoon because he's great with his hands. He thrives at night. Uh, he's a crafty little guy. And so <laughs> crafty little critter. Um, and so uh, the other name for a raccoon is a clever beast. If you look up like lore. Oh, wow. oh, so I see. what we wanted to do is, oh, you know, what better than a little raccoon to 
do something cool with things right. that people don't really care about, Sorry. like lesser known plants. Quick question. Why do you went that way if you love cats? Didn't well, you did have you a discussion? In the, lo in the logo, there's a cat. So oh, we did bring the yeah. cat in. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But the, so the raccoon, we, we wanted to just use the wide range of stuff that's already available cool. locally to us, but to do something more with it, to do something with the garbage in a way. Um, and we didn't know exactly, exactly what we were going to do, but we knew we wanted to utilize botanicals. And, um, so with that, we, <laughs> our first project became actually producing a vermouth with a local winery. So that's what we've been working on. Not a book. Um, we have a vermouth that is hopefully coming out in early summer. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's mainly what we've been working on right now. But as far as, um, inspiration, just anything unusual, we really like na any native grown plant or naturalized plant that people don't know a lot about. That's interesting to us. Um, and a lot of people don't look at it in terms of flavor or aromas. They look at it in terms of, is it a weed? Um, does it look pretty? And for a lot of people, if it doesn't look pretty, they don't care about it. Right. Um, but there's so many great plants. Um, and I guess that's kind of, that ties back into the hemp thing. Like plants are just so interesting and they have so much to offer. Um, and there's so many of them in the mid Atlantic that it seems a shame to not focus on them. So Charlene, the, the, the clever beast, cause I'm intrigued by this is the, will the vermouth be a uh, part of the product line or it's using the aromas in like, it's, is it kind of an offshoot of, of the product? So it's a collaboration product. A collaboration, um, what we okay. did is the, we worked with the winery, we handled the botanicals. So we developed the botanicals that are all added to the base wine. Wow. Um, so there are 23, they're all mid-Atlantic. So we really, I mean, if you wanted to pick the hardest product you could, it would be a vermouth and it would be tying you to regional only. So there are no equator spices, there's no citrus. Um, but in the end, what we figured out was we're really happy, really happy with the blend. It's so great. It's definitely a drinking vermouth. It's not um, a dry, like martini cocktail only vermouth. Um, so we're really pleased with it. Wow. You making CBD drinks with it? <laughs> this one doesn't have CBD, but you know what? There's nothing to say. We can add some hemp But I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to be posting some of the like different drinks recipes for, for that specific vermouth, right? Oh, we've already got the recipe cards awesome. for the vermouth ready. <laughs> That's great. Um, wanted to uh, ask you about the online content that you have uh, and how difficult it has been throughout like all the different, different work that you do. Um, how has it evolved? throughout the years and how the pandemic impacted, because probably it, it make it a little bit or maybe way stronger than what it was before since everybody was stuck in their home. Um, so how would you define your brand in that sense? So a lot has changed, a lot has changed. When I first started, I guess in the online world, I was in college, I was a student. Um, I was stuck in semester after semester of biochem and organic chemistry and dissecting cadavers. And um, I really like really needed a creative outlet. So I started writing, I started blogging. And um, at first, a lot of the content, especially as I first got my RD credential, RDN credential, I was extremely technical, like not in a consumer friendly kind of way. I think um, at least as a dietitian and probably with some other healthcare type roles, 
you are so worried. Nobody's going to take you seriously as a younger person that you err on the side of just being so technical about everything, like the linguistics of it. It's not fun to read. It's very serious. And, um, I think I started off that way. And then when I finally started doing more of the recipe based stuff, it was boring. I mean, it was, it was, um, I mean, I don't think it really had direction. I think it was what I thought people wanted to see. Um, and to be honest with you, it's the kind of stuff that's like popular now. It would be like extremely TikToky, like short recipes, cool. gimmicky, like, and yeah. so it kind of kills me because I think at first, and maybe it was the fact that it wasn't a job, I guess. Um, I was really leaning into trying to do what I thought people wanted. And as the years went by, I got real tired of that. And so our, our content shifted to be like really whatever we wanted to do. And it's really hard because at the end of the day, sometimes some of your partnerships are based on, you know, your audience capture. And right. if you're not doing the gimmicky stuff, your audience is less. And so that's why I think we've kind of shifted away from doing, um, influencer, influency type right. stuff and doing more content creation for brands to give them their own visual content to do as they will, because it's really soul sucking. Like if it, it just, the content to me isn't interesting. Everybody's doing the same thing. Right. And right. so we just started doing what we wanted and what we wanted to do and to shift, um, the work part of what we do to, to be something else so we could help other people. And honestly, that's been a little hard too, because sometimes you have to have an op, a client opt in, um, to a certain thing. So we had been doing, for example, Buzzfeed tasty style hands and pans videos. We had done those right when they were popular. We did them for years. Everybody wanted it because the PR, the PR people for a brand would say like, Oh, well, we know it'll do well. Like, cause they had done well. And we were just like, I swear we have to do one more hands and pants video. <laughs> and so we started to sell clients on, we would produce something else. And we'd be like, what about this? Like, let us do this for you. I promise it's going to be great. I know it's different. I know it's scary, but like, let us, let us do this for you. It's going to serve you better than doing the same thing as everybody else. And so it's really gratifying to have a client opt in and trust you. And those are our favorite kinds of clients. The ones who come to us and say, like, do what you want to do. Like, here's the prompt. Here's what we need, but we trust you. And so what it shifted to for us, we really like doing stop motion. So, um, more gift, like, like there's, it's just really short, really succinct little clever moments with food and beverage. And that's what we keep trying to sell clients on now. Cause we're like, not everybody's listening with video. Not everybody's watching a 20 second video anymore. You have six seconds. Mm -hmm. Let us do it for you in a really cool snappy way. And so right. it's great that finally, finally people are opting in on that, but you know, it, it's almost like a rat race. Cause you're like, well, what's next? Like, what's the next thing we have to try and, you know, get a client to opt out of or opt into. And that's, I think also why we started kind of doing clever B stuff because we didn't really want to be beholden maybe right. forever to a client. Um, and I think, I think you guys can probably understand that because it's nice with all of your ventures. You have a lot of flexibility in the breadth of what your catalog of opportunities offers you guys. Well, and we like to, we also like to have uh, opportunities to keep it fresh and do different things and really to kind of go down a different path than like what everybody else is doing, because mm -hmm. it's, you know, you all, you want to have fun. You like even just some of the uh, clients or the projects that you turn down, 
Uh, if you, you know that if you're not going to be passionate about it and you're not going to have fun, it's not going to be enjoyable. You kind of step back and say, do I really want to do this? You know what? And it's great to have that opportunity that you can decide that, you know, and, and I think your brand and the different ventures, they have so much more compelling, like real energy when somebody is really behind it, when they're real, when they're not just going through the motions and just doing it um, you know, for the wrong reasons, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and, and I agree with, uh, a lot of the content that you see online now, uh, everybody's kind of, it's like a cookie cutter, you know, you see a lot of the same videos and the same content and everybody's does a lot of the same, uh, the same stuff. Um, I was surprised the other day, I mean, you mentioned like, uh, Wegmans and sheets or get the gas stations, what have you, but, I was like filling up, getting some gas the other day. And I'm looking at the sign outside and saw that there was CBD uh, items like in the gas station. And I was yeah. like, I was like, wow, it's, it's, it's crazy that, you know, it makes you wonder like how uh, normalized will you start to see like different ingredients. Um, when we went in, when we went and did that class, that was like an exploratory class on cannabis we just started asking the question like, hey, does cannabis have any real culinary value? And uh, we did some, we were using uh, a lot of the, uh, the the THC and we learned a lot about it uh, as far as like how to use it. And when you talk about emulsifying, uh, that was one thing that we understood as well. I think uh, using a syrup, it sounds like that seems like that makes sense. Like that would really carry it really well. Um, but one of the other things I thought was really neat when you talked about the, the leaves, um, we had talked about, wouldn't it be cool to try to make some kind of a, um, a nori or a, like a sushi paper, mm -hmm. a wrap or something that was maybe out of like pressed leaves toasted or, or what have you, and maybe in like a line of spices or something like a fuikake, uh, kind of spice. So I, I guess like the whole process of like going down, you know, the, the rabbit hole of uh, exploration, you really don't know where you're going to end up, you know, but the going there is kind of an important part in, in learning about the product and all the different possibilities. So um, I think, and sometimes it doesn't happen for like years after, like sometimes right. you'll like the, the CBD stuff. I just, I wrote about it. And then a publisher con like Simon Schuster was like, Hey, do you want to write a book on this? But sometimes you don't know. And so it's funny how in life, like a little seed will be planted and you're like, that's curious. And then like years later, you never know what'll come up as an opportunity. And that's even, um, with the clever bee stuff. Like we, I think what really sparked that is we went to Denmark for the first time and like that food culture is something that really clicks with us. And so, um, you know, that little seed took a few years to kind of make that thing happen, but you just right. never know, you never know what's going to hit you. Where can, um, where can everyone find out, uh, more about, uh, about you, the different, uh, ventures and en endeavors that you're doing. And then also, uh, where, where all is the book available? So the book is available basically everywhere. Barnes and Noble, Target, Amazon, um, some local retailers, depending on where you are. And, uh, best place to find us is on Instagram or on the website through the newsletter, spending a little less time on Instagram recently, but, that's the best place to find out um, like about the remove launching um, and additional products that are coming out with that. So you can find me at Ocarlene or you can go to clever.beast and you can get your updates there. Quick question. Have why you... the name? Why the oh. name? Yeah. Ocarlene. Ocarlene. Oh, <laughs> mostly because people always think my name is Colleen or Charlene or they don't think like Carlene's a real name. 
And so when I'm like, oh, it's actually Carlene, they're like, oh, Carlene. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Um, That's I have clever. another question about, uh, you were talking about the, the blog and everything. Uh, how, what is your thought about how important and difficult is that to handle social media and a blog? Because I heard that a blog is really good for any kind of company and is really good to drive people to your content, but at the same time is time consuming worse than social media. Yeah. I mean, with any of the content now, it's like you have this constant need to post and show up because algorithmically that's what pays off. Like the platform wants you to continuously right. post. And that's why it's helpful from a blog perspective. What, when people say, Oh, a blog is good for a company. It's because it's constant content posting that Google can crawl and like right. add to your credibility. Um, and so it is time consuming. Like I, when I first started off blogging, I was, you know, blogging five times a week and then like right. slowly it became three. And then, you know, last year with a kid, it was like once a month and, but that was fine. Like, because the content is still there. And if you're not, if you're going to write crap content, like don't put it up. I would rather right. people right. wait and have something good. And you can also, right. you know, a lot of the content is evergreen in a way. Seasonal recipes are seasonal recipes, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think I would recommend don't start one. If you feel like you can't keep up with it, like why add that stressor to your life? Makes no sense. Right. Um, do something you can, you know, you could start a newsletter. If you can commit to a newsletter where it's like, you're, you're pulling data for other people, you know, right. um, versus writing only your own stuff then just do that. Like, don't kill yourself over doing something you feel like you should do, which is why a few years ago, like I stepped away from, Twitter, I stepped away from Facebook and I was like, if you want to find me on social, you can find me on Instagram. Cause that's where our content has the best ROI because it's visual. Right. Um, so I think it's so horrible as a culture that we're creating this phone necessity of people being everywhere all the time, posting content continuously. Um, and I think it's hard to, to opt out of it, but it's a happiness over like, right. are you really getting good ROI over it? Do you just feel like you're being validated externally? It's like some bigger life questions, but um, yeah, post, post what you feel passionate about, what makes you happy. Don't throw something out for the sake of it because it's forgettable anyway. Like, do you even remember the last right. thing somebody posted that was the right. same as everybody else? Meh. And you said earlier, you were saying how the content is getting, people aren't watching 20 minute YouTube videos anymore. And now we're down to like six seconds attention span. Where do you see that direction going? Like we've seen it, the attention span decrease. How, where do you see that going? So I think I kind of feel like it's swinging back the other way in a way. There are people who watch like hour long, you know, podcast things or vlogs from people on YouTube. And so there are people who want to be like extremely immersed and that's where they're choosing to spend their time. But as far as what you could call like low quality leisure activity, scrolling, the shorter, the better, mm. it doesn't matter, which is why if you look on Instagram now, these days, some of the breaks between content, it'll be four small videos in a row of clips of reels. Yeah. It's not even just one. It's like four and they're all playing simultaneously. And it's two second clips of each one. Like mm. that quantity of information for your brain is just astounding. So I think it'll go two ways. It'll either be this continuous, like additional, 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 where it's, things are stacked. Things are just moments of that in a hopes that you'll click through, or it'll be people reverting back to this like longer format stuff and really choosing where they're going to spend their time. Right. And I don't know. I think it depends on the person because right now I know a lot of people are torn in a million different directions. Like 
not everybody has the time quantity to be able to like sequester themselves away and watch, you know, a 30 minute video or something like that. Right. But then there are the people where they're, they are so interested in that topic. That's their leisure time. That's their learning activity time. And it's so worth it to them. So it's like such a high quality leisure thing. Um, right. I, I don't know for me, it's definitely, I would rather pick one longer thing than have my attention torn in 20 different directions. I just don't have the brain capacity for that right, right. now. <laughs> Carleen, do you, do you feel that, um, like if a client, uh, comes to you and they want social media, do you try to steer them toward Instagram since that's kind of where more your, um, activity has been or, cause naturally a lot of people are looking at also like Facebook and now TikTok and all of those do you tend to gravitate and say, Hey, this kind of visual content is really going to be compelling for your marketing or is it, do you kind of work with all those different spaces? So I think most companies now they are mainly acquiring for Instagram slash utilizing on their website and, right. and because of the website, Facebook, but I think most companies know where their majority of their audience is. Um, based on demographics, like the Facebook demographic is super different than the Instagram demographic. And, right. um, but I would say for the most part, I think most of the content is going to Instagram and reels and then any press release kind of stuff. And okay. that that's why the value is still in photos too. Like we do, we do video stuff, but a lot of, because most of the content is video, you can put it on reels. You can have motion on your website. That's very capturing. Pinterest has video now. But at the end of the day, sometimes you just need a really solid, stale, not stale, solid, like non-moving photo. And the photo goes right. in a press release. The photo gets syndicated to newspapers, to magazines. Like you can't print a video. So for the things that are still publication-based, a photo is still a photo and that's important. And so the more legs of a piece of content can have, the better for sure. So then they really, once they have the content, they can, it's kind of at their discretion, they can use it here, they can use it there. Um, so that, that makes a lot of sense. Do you feel like in the last couple of years uh, that it's gotten harder to, to reach um, audiences? Like, you know, I, I mean, I, you have a great Instagram following and, you know, do you feel like it was, I don't want to say easier, but was it maybe did you tend to accumulate at, you know, the whole stage of when you're building your account? Um, is it harder to gain more um, followers or to, to get reach for people now because there's more activity or there's more platforms? Or do you feel like you just got to have great content? I think it depends. It was definitely way easier earlier on. It definitely was. And then I think when Instagram slash meta, whatever you want to call it, um, started toying with the algorithm, like, I mean, I'm talking like five years ago when they started to toying with the algorithm, I think it started to change. There was this last surge of, um, really fast follower gathering before it, they made it extremely hard. Um, and you can definitely gain the system. And I think for years, like I really did try and kind of like play the game, right? Like with the specific posting, with trying the new features that they were doing, and it made you more apparent in other people's stuff. There was commenting, there were comment pods. And then I really did like you know, then the algorithm would change again and you'd be back to square one. Everyone was figuring out new tactics. There were entire like threads dedicated to trying to right. figure out how to game the system. <clears throat> and I, it just doesn't make me happy. Like period, that kind of stuff doesn't make me happy because you're chasing like monopoly money. You know, a mm -hmm. follower number is important, but it's not everything if they're not engaged. And every time an algorithm changes that is out of your control, 
Right. What does that give you? Like, what a horrible right. feeling. Um, mm -hmm. But that said, you know, TikTok is like a newer platform and people can gain crazy followings extremely fast, extremely fast. Um, and I think you could do the same on Instagram. Had you figured out a tactic to do it? Um, my interest is just not in building that platform as much as it was. Right. And I, I think it's just the whole thing of like, I would rather make something really cool and have like, I don't want to say cult following for like that product, but have like a really dedicated group of people that are interested in the technicalities of it, of like the process, the why versus, oh, that's cool. Like scroll to next thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and now too, I mean, I, I think about like when I was growing up, uh, like really pre social media and everything, I look at my kids now they're on their devices and the world has changed like so much, like before there was like, you know, pretty much the media was like television and you would have these mega stars of, you know, Metallica and every, and they had these big audiences and everybody would take their, consume their content through like, you know, a television or radio. But now you, there's so many places that you can really go and find your audience. So even if you have a very narrow, um, uh, focused following, but that could be all you need. Like you don't, you don't always have, I mean, it's great if you've got, you know, millions of, of followers, but like you said, you know, the quality of who is your audience and that you're giving them great content and there's a value add to those individuals, uh, that's almost more meaningful, you know, but I think, I mean, you brought up a really good point of accounting monopoly money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's a good way to put it. Um, well, do you feel more enjoyable when people come to like your workshops? Is that a bigger like happiness or like, I don't want to say ROI, but like a, a better thing for you than, you know, like seeing how many people viewed stuff or I don't know how it plays out on your end. Cause you guys do so much. Yeah. Well we have, um, you know, we, we kind of have different, um, audiences for different things. Like the people that go to roots, um, I don't really have a direct relationship with those right. customers, but our team members there do. And, um, but it's still a brand that there's a way to cross pollinate some of the other things that we do where somebody may come to roots and have a, you know, pork sandwich and find out that, oh, there's a cooking class here on a uh, barbecue. And then they'll come and sign up for that. So it's kind of neat with these different things that we do, how you kind of cross pollinate. Uh, I mean, people started, some people started listening to the podcast that, are non-chefs and then chefs get introduced to other things that we're doing. So I feel like doing a lot of these different uh, ventures, it's, it's helped us diversify. And I almost feel like uh, when I used to do just a restaurant uh, years ago, even before I was at the Greenbrier, uh, man, whenever you would have a, a slow week or a bad week or whenever the recession hit, um, I really didn't have anything to fall back on as a company. You know, we had basically when the restaurant got really, really slow, like practically overnight, we were in trouble, you know, I mean, cause you just, the cash registers start, stop ringing. Um, but now I feel like there's a lot of different options out there for people, even just like with you're doing, it's like, you know, you, you're, you, you, you have a lot of different um, ways that people can access your brand and, and it's a way to grow. And like you said, you don't know what seeds are going to blossom and manifest into something really exciting and, and big, like success can run out from under you with just having planting the right seed. Mm -hmm. Um, and you don't always have to know what that's going to look like. Um, as, as you said, you know, 
Well, um, I know we're getting close here, uh, coming up on the hour and, uh, well, everything was, uh, really fascinating, um, talking with you. And I think the, the book sounds really exciting. And I know there's a ton of people out there that have been asking for, for, uh, our recommendations for books. So we'll definitely, we'll have to put a link to that, but I'm sure it's easy to find, uh, these days with Amazon and, uh, all the different bookstores and everything are out there. Uh, Chris, yeah. any, anything uh, else, Rachel? Yeah, I have one more before we, uh, we leave. Um, do you have any other besides the Vermouth, uh, exciting project, uh, coming up? So that's our, that's our personal, like, that's what we've been working on. And then we're building out the rest of a product range for that botanically based. Um, cool. But I, there was this remove, like Chris designed the packaging too. So like, we're in where are you going to show that? Uh, I, I hopefully once we secure, so the label has to be, this is like a whole other thing with vermouth. The label has to be government approved. So it has to go to TTB. What? It has to go. So wow. once wow, that's crazy. all of that is done, then we can hopefully share like what it all looks like. Oh, that's like. great. Um, that's so awesome. So most excited about all of that stuff and playing with all the technology we have with that cool. company. Um, and then other project wise, sorry to, I mean, sorry to disappoint. We're like locked up with photo shoots that are for clients. So it's, nothing fun we can really show on our end except for behind the scenes <laughs> stuff right now, but we have some cool things in the works. Cool. And that's great. I mean, I, I love to see uh, whenever you post about the garden, different recipes that you're doing and everything. Uh, I, I love to keep uh, uh, eating the content that you're posting every time on Instagram. Thank you. Thank you guys. I don't have any further questions, but I just wanted to say thank you for your time. And I love how intentional you are with your work and your research and everything that you do. And I really hope that our listeners gathered some of that, uh, some inspiration from you, um, as far as being intentional with your work and what you're content creating or what you're posting, what you're putting out there, because I do think a lot of people are just, like you said, just kind of posting to be in the algorithm. So thank you for that inspiration. Thanks for joining us all the way from there. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to be here. Carlina, anything else that we, we didn't talk about that you wanted to mention? Uh, no, only that your hamburgers are the best. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I will be requesting a cheeseburger drive through very shortly on our you menu. You never today. know. We, we, we might have to put one in. We can deliver it with a drone. Ah. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Well, tell Chris we said hello and uh, best wishes uh, to your your uh, family. And uh, we enjoyed your time and we look forward to uh, we'll catch up with you again, uh, maybe uh, later in the year and see how things are going. But we enjoyed the uh, conversation. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, you guys. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.